Let's pray before we read God's word this morning. Father, we are thankful for your word. Thankful that you are a God who saves, as we have sung repeatedly this morning. We pray that you would do your saving work in our hearts and our lives, attending to your word this morning. Praise and glory of Christ our Lord. Colossians 2, verses 8 through 15. This is the holy and errant word of God. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of God is forever. Let's be to God. Amen. I was in my kitchen uh, this past week and I was doing our bills, and as inevitably happens, there was a bill that needed to get in the mail that day. And as I was sitting there, I heard the mail truck enter our circle. And so with my cat-like reflexes, I snatched the bill and I immediately hopped up and with that blazingly lightning fast speed that you have heard of pastors having, I ran out my kitchen and out the front door and got to the mailbox just as she was driving up. And when I went up to her, I was handing her my bill, but she was distracted and she turned to me and she just said to me, she said, I know, I know, I know, I've heard it a thousand times already. And she was fiddling with this radio that was down at her knees. And so I listened to the radio as she was seeking to turn it off. And and it was a warning, a warning that, that was telling this postwoman that there was a loose dog in the area, little Fido that had gotten loose. She was listening to that warning. We warn when there are threats, and particular threats pertain to certain types of people. If you are a police officer and your radio says that there is an armed and dangerous criminal, you listen to the warning. If you were living in Houston this weekend and the National Weather Service said a hurricane is coming in, you would listen to the warning. Though I did hear someone say this week that if you want to make sure that Texans do not leave their house, order them to leave their house. 
probably true. But there are certain warnings for particular people. And Paul here has a warning for the Christian. A warning that not only he says here, but he echoes throughout all of his pastoral epistles. John will do the same in his epistles, and the Lord Jesus Christ will do the exact same thing. A warning that we should not allow anything to divert us from Christ. Nothing. Christians are to be on guard against anything that would lead us from Christ. That's our threat. That's the threat that you and I especially have to be on guard against. So Paul begins our passage with see to it. Or he could have written in large orange letters on a back, black background. Beware. Beware that no one takes you captive. The word captive has the idea of taking somebody off as plunder in war. Police officers and adversaries need to be on guard against criminals and male persons, against ravenous dogs. So the Christian needs to be on guard against all those who would seek to lead us away from Christ. Because they're seeking to steal our freedom in Christ. This morning we'll see from this passage that fellowship with Christ means we have received the fullness in Christ, resulting in freedom through Christ. So fellowship with Christ means we have received fullness in Christ, resulting in freedom through Christ. There's a real simplicity to our faith. It's all wrapped up in Christ. And there will always be those that approach the church and approach the Christian and try and add things to Christ because it's just too simple. You place your faith in Christ and you walk in Christ. And and they want to make it more complex and add things on. Our fellowship with Christ means we have received fullness in Christ, resulting in freedom through Christ. Let's look at that this morning. Well, Paul warns these Colossians that these false teachers are complicating things with what he calls empty deceit. It's empty. Their teaching is empty. It's without content. It has no substance. In fact, he says it's deceit. It's just downright lies. They wanted to add Old Testament ceremonial laws to the Christian faith. That the people of God, the Christians, needed to be circumcised to really reach full salvation in Christ. Or they had to attend to the the dietary laws that were part of the Old Testament ceremonial law to have perfection in Christ. And other things. Paul is saying that is ridiculous. He's reminding the Colossians that we have fellowship with Christ. The the recipe for the Christian life says no other ingredients needed. Christ alone. We have Christ. Its additions are, as Paul says in verse 8, not according to Christ. His other voices are just that. They're just other voices. They have absolutely no authority in the Christian's life. Paul has in mind John 10 there where Christ is is giving this, this very kind of word picture where he says that he is the good shepherd. And his sheep know him and know his voice and they listen to his voice. 
And the stranger they will not listen to. The, the, the stranger, the thief who attempts to carry them off. Now the Christian listens to Christ. Now our fellowship is with Christ, our shepherd, and he is our leader. He is our teacher. He is our Lord. And so we dare not wander from his truth, from his word. For if we wander from the truth of Christ, then we wander from Christ. If we think that there is something else that is needed for our salvation, for our life of faith, then we deny Christ. Because fellowship with Christ means that we have fullness in Christ. They go together. Fellowship with Christ means we have fullness in Christ. Here's the great error of these false teachers. They were making the faith more complex than Christ. And if we seek something more, if we seek something in addition to Christ, then we're saying that Christ is insufficient. That he's not enough. That he's lacking. But Paul calls to our remembrance in verse 9, in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Fellowship with Christ means we have fullness in Christ because Christ is the entire revelation of God. Nothing is lacking. So Christ can say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He can say, I and the Father are one. He can say, he who receives me has received the one who sent me. Think about what that means. That that. that he is fully God, that in Him fullness of deity dwells bodily. That the infinite, eternal God dwells in Christ. It means the majesty of, of Him who even angels couldn't, couldn't look at but, but have to hide their, their eyes from. It means that power to, to truly shape and, and form galaxies and uphold the universe. It's true of Christ. It means knowledge that surpasses what all the books of history contain. If we could cut down every tree on the face of the earth and make paper out of it, you couldn't fill the pages with the knowledge. He has it all. All that is true of God, is true of the Son, is true of the Son. All that was true of Christ, the Son of God, before time began, before there was ever a sun in the sky, before there were ever waves that rose, before there was ever a bird calling in the air, before any of that, everything that belonged to the Son of God in eternity is true of Him in the flesh. It's true of him in his incarnation. In him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Listen to a, I had another church two weeks ago when I had a Sunday off. Listen to a wonderful sermon on the gospel that this man preached. But then at one moment in the service he said that, that Christ, the son of God, when he became flesh, that he, he emptied himself of deity. 
everything that is true of God, everything dwells in him bodily. So it does forever. The infinite, eternal God takes up residence in the flesh of Jesus Christ, all the fullness. It appears that these false teachers are promoting some kind of Gnostic teaching that that there were aeons or different spiritual beings that descended from God by orders. And each order of those spiritual beings or angels, if you will, revealed a separate thing about God because there was no angel, there was no aeon, there was no spiritual being that could convey all that God is. Paul says no. Christ is the complete revelation of God. It's fully God. Here is Paul's point. That fullness is given to us. Fellowship with Christ means fullness in Christ. The Christian by Christ's spirit is united to Christ in fellowship. And in him we have everything. We, we are filled in him. You lack nothing, Christian. You have it all in Christ. Because Christ has all. And you're united to him by faith. And so he, he fills you. The, the infinite fills the finite. How can this be? Kent Hughes had a wonderful illustration of this that I heard years ago. And I've used it ever since. He said it is like when you go to the Pacific Ocean, if you were standing on the beach and, and looking out at the Pacific Ocean and, and this ocean that you can't see the end of and the depths of it that you can't see and it just stretches beyond anything you can comprehend. And he says you have a jar in your hand. He says you, you go up to that ocean and it's grand and it's great and it stretches farther than the eye can take in and, and you have but this jar. So how can the fullness of God ever fill us? Christ is infinite and, and, and he, he can, can hold the fullness of deity in his person because he is infinite. And so as Hugh says, whenever one of us finite creatures dips the tiny vessel of our person into Christ, our life into him, we instantly become full of his fullness. We reach down in an instant. That jar is filled with the fullness of the Pacific Ocean. It has the fullness of the Pacific, even though it does not have, can't contain the full Pacific. It's there. The tiny jar of our life has been filled with God by Him who is fully God and can contain it all. There's no other way to have the fullness of God. No other way but to have fullness in Christ by fellowship with Christ. But if you have fellowship with Christ, you have the fullness of Christ. The very fullness of God. Notice again that the salvation, this fullness is God's work. We have seen this over and over in this book. This passive voice is used time and again. Verse 10. And you have been filled in him. It, it, 
It's an act of sovereign, majestic mercy and grace. It's not your doing. It's His. Christ comes to us in fellowship and He gives us the gift of faith and we are united to Him. And then we are given the greatest of all gifts, the fullness of God Himself. He gives Himself to us. This has been said, every person that walks around is born into this world has a has a hole in them. That's a God-sized hole. Driving past the campus this morning, seeing all those freshmen move in. And how many will show up this week that have a God-sized hole? Will attempt to fill it with all kinds of things, with alcohol, with sex, with academic success with popularity, and that hole will remain. We're filled in one way. Fullness only comes in Christ. You see why Paul is warning them not to seek things outside of Christ? As if there's something more than Christ. This is the great problem with legalism and asceticism and syncretism and new prophecies and praying to angels or Mary or anything else. It all says that Christ is insufficient. It's more than sufficient. Sufficient to fill us. And the implication is that if we turn to anything else, we are accusing Him not only of not being sufficient, but not being God. Oh, in Him all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. Oh, Christian. Realize that Christ is our storehouse. He's our treasure. Anything and everything that you need, it comes from Him. Whether that is peace or love or wisdom or strength, God is more than sufficient, and He is found in Christ. Wherever you find yourself, whatever circumstances, whatever the need, it is found in Christ. And if you have fellowship with Christ, then you have fullness in Christ. It's yours. Notice again that this language is repeated over and over in this text. Verse 9, for in Him. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Verse 10, and you have been filled in him. Verse 11, in him you were also circumcised. Verse 12, it's the same idea, buried with him, raised with him. Verse 13, God made alive together with him. The Christian finds all in and with Christ. He's a fountain. Fountain of all grace and righteousness, of all truth and love, of all knowledge and wisdom, an ever-flowing fountain of blessing to His people, the very blessing of God. But you cannot be filled apart from Him. You can't. The old Puritans used to say that, that if you go up to a normal fountain, you can... Stand over that fountain and all those waters that flow from it. You, 
you can bend over it and you can quench your thirst by bending over that fountain. But the fountain of living waters, the fountain of righteousness and grace and blessing that flow from Christ, you cannot get from standing apart from the fountain. Be in it. To be in it. As Calvin once said provocatively, he said, as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value to us. Must have fellowship with him by faith. And if we are united to him by faith in him, then we have fullness in Christ. Nothing remains lacking. Nothing is absent. So Christian, you don't go chasing after other things. You have Christ. My favorite section from all of John Calvin's writings and sermons speaks on this very thing. I've read it to you before, but it's worth hearing over and over. Because it is so easy to, to wander from this truth and be taken captive and carried off. Calvin said this. If we seek strength, it lies in his dominion. If purity in his conception, if gentleness it appears in his birth, for by his birth he was made like us in all respects that he might learn to feel our pain. If we seek redemption, it lies in his passion. If acquittal in his condemnation, and if remission of the curse in his cross, if satisfaction in his sacrifice, if purification in his blood, if reconciliation in his descent into hell, if mortification of the flesh in his tomb, if newness of life in his resurrection, if immortality in the same, if inheritance of the heavenly kingdom in his entrance into heaven, if protection, if security, if abundant supply of all blessings in his kingdom, if untroubled expectation of judgment and the power to give, and to judge, in short, since rich store of every kind of good abounds in him, let us drink our fill from this fountain and from no other. Amen. Fellowship with Christ means fullness in Christ. There will always be those who keep pushing other things, pushing them upon us and just trying to Divert our attention just a little bit. It appears these false teachers were doing this very thing. They were arguing that all the, the males that were there in this Colossian church, that they needed to be circumcised. They, they needed this to be complete in Christ because circumcision was that Old Testament ceremonial law that, that was required of the people of God. And so if Christians are the people of God, then they must be circumcised. Paul launches into that topic in verse 11 and he has very little patience for it. He wishes that they would just remember what was signified in their baptisms. He says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And what more do you need than Christ? 
circumcision was that outward ceremonial ritual that the Jewish people would do that would speak of the fact that they had been initiated into the covenant people of God. And it marked them that those males were marked all of their lives that they had been set apart, that they were part of God's people. And it symbolized many things. It symbolized the need to, to be cut off, literally your flesh to be cut off from the first Adam, from sin, from its dominion, from the world. As one Puritan said that we all need pruning. Flesh needed to be removed. Purity, cleansing. But it was never the outward sign alone that God desired. In Deuteronomy 10 and many other passages, God said, what that is a sign of is just an outward sign of the true desire that they have a circumcised heart. That their heart be turned from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Heart of faith. These false teachers were missing the point, so Paul reminds them. You already have all that is signified and sealed in the sacrament of that Old Testament by your union with Christ. If only they had remembered what was signified and sealed to them at their baptism. You identified with him in baptism. You underwent the circumcision of Christ. Paul is saying, not a circumcision done with hands, but by the very Spirit of God. You entered the covenant people of God. You were set apart. You were cut off from sin by the pollution of sin, by the dominion of sin, as you were identified with Christ. You were circumcised with the circumcision of Christ, he said. Well, doesn't have in mind that circumcision that Christ underwent in those first few days of, of his earthly life, but rather the greater circumcision. His death upon the cross. Circumcision of Christ in this passage is just a graphic description of Christ's death. He didn't have just a piece of his flesh removed. Rather, he experienced a violent removal of his entire body of flesh and death. And Paul is reminding these Colossian Christians that your baptism, it signifies and it seals this union with Christ. You shared in his death. Not that you just died like him. But when he died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. And when he was raised, you were raised. In union with him. And all that inward cleansing, circumcision was but a sign of, was wrought in us by the power of the Spirit, by virtue of our participation in Christ's death upon that tree. Your old sin-dominated self was put to death. It was buried. And you were raised to new life. It's a new you. Whatever you were, dear sinner, apart from Christ, it is gone. You've been set free. You died raised to new life. Fellowship with Christ means we have received fullness in Christ, resulting in freedom through Christ. Freedom through Christ. Freedom. And these false teachers, they were seeking to steal that freedom away. 
Paul wants to emphasize our freedom in two particular ways. Forgiveness and victory. He says we have forgiveness, so we have freedom. There's maybe nothing sweeter in Christian life than knowing that your sins are forgiven. There are no heavier burdens in this world than than the burden of sin upon the unredeemed sinner. Atlas and all of his heavy burden holds no candle to the unbeliever and their burden. The psalmist describes it best, I think. He says, for I am in distress, my eyes wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. My life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, my sins. My bones waste away. Just that picture of complete and utter exhaustion. And you know it if you've been convicted of your sin. It just, it occupies your mind. And it seems to be the only thing you can think about and it weighs everything down. Nothing feels joyful. It keeps you up at night. You feel just the weight it feels like as the psalmist says that your bones are truly crushing within you. There is mental exhaustion, emotional exhaustion, and true spiritual and physical exhaustion. But even more than that, it is true spiritual death. Paul says here in verse 13 and you who are dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. That is, you are in a continual state and constant state of disobedience to God, dead. True of all of us apart from Christ, spiritually dead. But in Christ, as we come to Him in faith, we have freedom because we have forgiveness. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's quite the picture. The picture is there's a written record of our death. And it's written in our own hands. Every sin that we have ever committed. If you will, an IOU of sorts. But, but with clauses at the end of payment that needs to be made. Penalty clauses. And in that record of death, there is nothing that is hidden. Every word that was uttered, every deed that was done, every deed that was not done. Everything that was, we thought was done behind closed doors and no one saw, and everything that was done at night and in darkness, and everything that we thought we had kept trapped in our mind and no one knew of it, our, our deepest ruminations, those things we have hid from everyone and we thought everything. Paul's saying it's all written out. It's all written out on that, that record of death in our own hands. Before the throne of God, there is a witness that stands against us, and it is by our own hands. Dead in our sins. And God, a debt of monumental proportion. 
infinite. But in Christ, by faith, we died with Him. And we were made alive with Him. And we have all the fullness of God. And here Paul declares we have the great freedom of forgiveness. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. That is wiped away. That's the language. Wiped away. He cancels it. He he clears the slate. Remember a number of years ago when we first moved to Michigan, Grayson was about this tall. We had our first snow. I can remember being out in the backyard and sitting with her there and and writing letters of the alphabet in the snow and asking her to say what the letter of the alphabet was. And she would name it, and then I would, I would take my hand and I would brush it over the snow and it disappeared. It would be gone. It would be cleansed. Fresh, clean, white, like nothing had ever been written there again before. And I did it so then I could write something else there. He takes the record of our debt and he blots it out and he wipes it away. Nothing is written there again. Your sins are like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Becomes as a clean sheet as if nothing was ever written upon it. But it's not just erased like with a a wave of a hand by God. For what good would that be? If he just waved his hand and it was erased, it it could be like invisible ink and pop back up again. No. He canceled the record of debt, Paul says, that stood against us with its legal demand. The wages of sin is death. That is the penalty. And Christ bore it. The debt was paid in full. How tenuous would our salvation be if it was just a wave of His hand? But by Christ, justice is fulfilled. It's paid. There's no more to be exacted. It's exhausted in Him. As Christ says upon the cross, it is finished. It's done. It's paid. First John, John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not faithful and dismissive, but faithful and just. Justice has been upheld. The penalty has been paid. The debt has been paid in full. Paid by Christ our sins upon that tree who took our death upon himself and wrote in his own blood paid in full across our IOUs. Just as that board was fixed above his head, king of the Jews. So Paul says our, our debt was, was fixed to the cross. And even as he died, it died. 
as he was crucified, so was it. He rose from his death, and it never shall. It was killed upon that tree. It was cleared. It was obliterated. And Christ, forgiven, set free. Free from guilt of your sin, free from the burden of your sin, free from the penalty of your sin. Martin Luther, that great reformer, he, he talks about a dream that he had once where he dreamed that Satan appeared to him. And Satan had a bunch of scrolls and he unfurled the first scroll and Martin Luther looked upon it and it was his own handwriting and Satan began to read through the list that was on the scroll and it was every sin that Luther had committed. And Satan, after he had read through the first scroll, he said to Martin Luther, Is this true of you? Martin Luther said, Yes, it is true. And so Satan unfurled scroll after scroll after scroll, and he read through list after list after list, and soliciting the same response each time, Is this true of you? And Martin Luther would say, Yes, it is true. And finally, the tempter, having done his work, he turned to walk out of the room, having brought Luther into utter anguish and racked with guilt and sorrow. As he began to walk out, Luther stopped. And he said to Satan, he said, it is true, every word of it, but right across it all, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship with Christ means fullness in Christ, which results in freedom in Christ. Forgiven. Free from your sins, dear Christian. You have forgiveness. The penalty is no longer yours to pay. Don't you dare walk around with your shoulders hunched and your head down and weighed down by your guilt. It is not yours. Don't you dare walk around and say that God is punishing me for what I have done. The punishment was taken. It is not yours. It's paid. It's done. It's been born. We are forgiven. We have freedom through Christ. And finally, we also have freedom through Christ and victory. We have forgiveness and we have victory. Our Fellowship with Christ means we have received fullness in Christ, resulting in freedom through Christ, in forgiveness and in victory. If only our past is dealt with, that would be little reason for you and I to rejoice. But the freedom that Christ gives is absolutely complete. We are not only forgiven our past sins, we have victory over all the powers of evil now and in the future. Forever. Let's be clear, they always go together for the Christian. Forgiveness of sins and victory over all our enemies. Go together. If you're in Christ by faith, if you died with Him, if you've been buried with Him, you've been raised a new life in Him, so you are forgiven and you have victory. The powers of evil have no right to you. 
even as that record of debt has no right to you, you've been set free. Paul says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. See, Satan came to Luther and he had this debt and he said, look, and he uses it as a weapon against him, but they've been disarmed. They have nothing to use. Nothing ultimately to use against us. They have no charge to bring against you. Their weapons have been taken. The imagery here is of a, of a Roman army after it would have conquered some foes and as they're entering the gates of Rome. And, and as a Roman army would enter Rome, they would send all the furnishings that they had captured in gold and jewels and all the clothing and all the paintings and all the works of art and all of those things would be carried into the city at the very front of this long parade. And then all the people that they had captured, different soldiers would follow behind that, these conquered soldiers, and then would follow the conquered servants and the conquered family of that conquered king, all parading into the city of Rome. And then would come in the conquered king with his, with his, chain, with his arms chained together and wearing all black. And then finally behind him would come in the conquering general in a chariot all the trumpets blasting and blaring. Complete and utter humiliation for the conquered general and complete victory for the conquering general. Christ puts them to open shame. Christian is not the one shamed. Devil is. Word for shame there in verse 15, it's the same word that's used of Joseph there in the Gospel of Matthew where it says that he wanted to quietly divorce Mary when he found out that she was pregnant because he didn't want to put her to open shame for everybody to see, a public disgrace. That's precisely what God does with Satan and his dominion. All the powers of evil on that day, they thought they were putting Christ, the Son of God, to open shame upon that tree. But the cross was not his shame. But it was his chariot of triumph. By his death on that cross, the prince of darkness was routed and subjected to him. And they were shown to be nothing more than what Paul says in Galatians, weak and worthless elements. They were pacified. They continue to exist, but they were shown to be what they are. As Martin Luther once said, the devil is God's devil. He is not sovereign, and neither are his lackeys. They're indesecured. They have been subjugated and humiliated, and we have been exalted. Satan, sin, death, hell, they have no dominion over the Christian. Their weapons have been taken away. They cannot heap guilt upon you. They cannot march you into shame. We are set free from their power. They do not rule here. I'm ruled by another. You don't have to obey sin. You don't have to carry around guilt. You don't have to be shamed. Hell has no claim on you. Satan has no right to you. Sin has no dominion over you. 
been set free. You see the picture. We have fellowship with Christ, having all the fullness of God in Christ, resulting in freedom through Christ because Christ triumphs over all. Everything is in Christ. Paul is saying, how foolish to go after other things. You've got it all. Don't be carried off. Men and women and children in this room, some of you racked with guilt. Others anxious about tomorrow or today. You're struggling with the things of life or you are gripped with sin. You turn to Christ. You turn to Christ. If you have fellowship with Christ, you have fullness of Christ, resulting in freedom through Christ. The power of the cross, we are not only forgiven of our past sins, but the future is secure. We have freedom today and forever. I love that the book of Revelation pictures the Lord Jesus Christ as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That you and I in heaven, that we will have a living picture before us of, for all of eternity that our sins have been paid for in full. Forever. But he's not just the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. In heaven, he is also pictured as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one who conquered our who has dominion, who has taken all of his enemies, all of our enemies, and he has placed them as a footstool beneath his feet. He reigns forever as the lamb and the lion. Fellowship with Christ, you have the fullness of God. And you have freedom, not just today, but forever. Don't go chasing after other things. Christ alone. He is our victory. Let's pray. Lord and our God, we give you praise this morning. That you are one who reigns on high. None rival. None can defeat. None hold power over. We would find our all in you. Oh, press your truth home to our hearts and our minds and our souls today. May we rest in our Savior, our King, our Lord, the Lamb that was slain for us, the Lion that rules over all of the universe. In his name we pray.